Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. If you need something really fun to watch this week at spring break, Peter Sellers had a series of movies called The Pink Panther. They're wonderful. Uh, they, they're hilarious slapstick type of humor, but they're wonderful humor too, especially in an age where we live now where humor is, is bought on the blue side. And guys, this isn't. This is, this is good stuff. Um, one of the kids that was up here when I said, you could be Inspector Clouseau, and she said, who is that? You know you're getting old when you make a you make a reference and nobody gets it, all right? But I'm so grateful that you all did. Guys, if you have your Bible, let's turn in the, in, to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Um, we're going to be looking this morning again at a guy that we, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. His name is Isaac. And of the three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... He's probably the least referenced and least known of the patriarchs that God identifies himself through. Isaac, he's a fellow that, that prayed, and praying until an answer comes. So I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. It'll help move us along. First of all, let me ask you a question. How many of you all in here, do you pray? Raise your hand if you pray. Yeah, if you're if you're here this morning, it would be a bad thing if you say, ah, I don't pray. You know, ah, I don't. Do you pray? Yeah, most people do. Most folks here today do. And when we pray, we acknowledge that God has control over all things. That's called His sovereignty. God is sovereign. That means He has the control of everything in the world. Sometimes when we have to acknowledge God's sovereignty. We look at it and we say, well, wait a minute. If God's in control of all things, why do bad things happen to really good people? And guys, there's an answer to that. And it not, it's not always satisfying to our soul to hear God's answer about why that is. If he's in control, why isn't he doing all of the, Why isn't he solving all these problems? Why isn't he providing medicines that would cure diseases? Why isn't he miraculously just simply curing those diseases? Guys, we live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-sick world. And because of that, you and I and good people and bad people get splashed with the consequences of sin, even if you had nothing to do with it. We get the effect of it. The Bible also says something about our sin. It says if we have committed one sin, one, count them one, we are guilty of every one. It's hard for me to think of my daughter as a murderer. It's hard for me to think of a friend here at church as an adulterer. It's hard for me to put those same sins and crimes on myself. But the Bible is very clear. It says that we are all of that in our sin. And that God loving us takes us in that sinful condition and moves us into a place where He wants to work in our lives. His sovereignty. He knows what's going on. We also, when we pray, we're admitting that we don't have the ability to handle everything on our own. 
There are things that we can't control or understand. And prayer becomes our lifeline to sanity in a sometimes insane situation. It's a good thing to pray. Do you pray? I hope you do. Let me ask you another question. When you pray, do you already have a desired outcome to your prayer in mind? So in other words, when you're praying, are you basically praying and saying, okay, God, here's the problem. I have this person over here that's getting on my nerves. And God, what I would like you to do in your holy and perfect power, and because I'm praying to you, Lord, I'm going to respect you totally on this, what I would like you to do is burn that person up into a little pile of ash with two eyeballs sticking out, and that would solve my problem. Do you ever pray like that? Do you pray to God wanting Him to agree with your view of things and arrange an outcome that will be already chosen by you? You see, last week, Joe shared in a sermon, in a teaching, about fear. How it rules and ruins and robs your walk with the, with the God who loves you and believes in your future. And prayer is about seeking, listen, it's about seeking God's direction. And God's direction never leads you and me into fear. He never puts us into a place where we are compromised by, the, by our emotions in fear. He never does that. Matter of fact, when we pray, what we're really doing is saying, God, I have reached essentially the end of my ability to handle stuff, so would you go ahead and take this from me? It is a surrender in sorts, but it's more than that. It is also saying, God, I trust that your direction is a better outcome than the one that I've already chosen. Guys, when we pray, one of the things that we ought to do is do precisely what Jesus did when he was at at the Garden of Gethsemane, where he made these wonderful little words, not as an add-on to his prayer, but he said, Thy will be done. Because, guys, it is not about us, it is about him. It's not about what we want. It's about what God desires for us to have. And there's a difficulty with that. Most of the time when we pray, we should be seeking God's direction, not you and me directing God to go the the way we want Him to go. You see, when we talk about this man Isaac, Isaac was a miracle child for his parents Abraham and Sarah. You remember the story. They had prayed that God would give them a child. They prayed about that, and then they did something very interesting. They decided, you know, God, um, you're you're answering this prayer. We believe in you. We trust that you're going to do that. But we've got a solution to this problem of childlessness. We're going to go ahead and kind of take it into our own hands, sort of, maybe, kind of, because we've got this handmaiden over here who's young enough to go ahead and bear children, and we'll just we'll get that child. Thank you for that answer, Lord. We appreciate it, but we'll handle it now. Guys, listen to me. This is not sacrilege in saying. Don't live your relationship with God that at every decision that must be made, you ask God to go out for a cigarette while you decide the direction that you are going to take when He has given you His divine appointment. 
He wants to be with you the entire time. He wants to walk with you. Even as you are walking through a difficult time of trusting Him, He wants you to be willing to go ahead and say, God, I have not seen the answer to this prayer yet, but I'm going to go ahead and be willing to trust. Prayer is trust. Isaac was the answer to that prayer. He was raised with the absolute knowledge that he was cherished, that he was special. And listen, every child should feel this way. If you were raised in a family where you are not cherished and you are not made to feel special, then listen to me. Make sure your children and your children's children receive that special attention. Let whatever happened in your family in the past die with you. And don't pass the curse generation to generation to generation down. If there's been bad in your family, and Isaac was raised in a family that had some real dysfunction, don't let it pass down to your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids. This past week, I got to go ahead and celebrate the birth of a little child to a family lady in our church became a great-great-grandmother for the third time. And she, she let me know about that, and as she was talking about, about it, she said, I never figured, she said, I thought I was going to die when I was 60 years old. She said, I've lived long enough now that I've seen one after another, after another, after another generation. She said, I never believed I would live that long. And she said, I went back and checked. I had to get married at four years old to have great, great grandchildren. Guys, it's a blessing. It really is. The miracle child, listen, you are that miracle child. You really are. You are a miracle that God created. And the Bible even says about you that He knew you when you were in your mother's womb. He knew you before you took your first breath. He imparted to you His blessing before you ever cried your first cry. That's a God who is involved with you and wants to be involved in your life. And when you and I pray, we are turning over the direction of our life to God. And Isaac was a man of prayer. And it's interesting. He faced the same struggles as his father, that of childlessness, and he approached it quite differently. Now, you may not know the story, but here's Isaac. And, and in those days, parents would oftentimes choose the wife or the husband of their children. They'd choose them. So, here's the deal. Um, any of you all in here want to go ahead and choose your children's uh, mate? You, you <laughs> okay, Stu, this is, everybody else can, can take a nap. It's, it's daylight savings time. We're all tired. This is for you, buddy. God's already chose them. And your job is to line up with God's choice. That means you don't have to go out and, and worry about well, here's the deal. 
when your when your eldest girl brings the first, when the first boy comes and knocks at her door, okay, and he knocks at your door, and he comes in and he sits down while she's about ready to make her entrance, I know what's going to happen to you because I, I I know you fairly well on this. You just need to have a little sign with you, and in, on the sign it needs to say, "I still like prison food." It will scare the person to death, all right? In reality, you don't have to worry about choosing the next... Joe, you're not going to have to worry about who your little girl is. God's already got that. But the childlessness that Isaac faced was the exact same thing his father faced. And instead of going ahead and saying, God, you just promised me an answer to this prayer... I'm going to go ahead and now take the ball and start running with it. He waits. He waits. And he waits years and years and years. And we're going to look this morning about what he prayed, how he prayed, and why he prayed the way he did. And if you have your Bible, it's in Genesis 25. And I want us to go ahead and stand together. We're going to read God's Word We stand for the honor of reading God's Word together. I want you to join with me as we pray, and as we read, rather. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days were to be delivered, were fulfilled. Behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, and all over like a hairy garment, And they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. By the way, if you have red hair, this doesn't mean you're cursed, okay? Just a note from the pastor who, when I first read that as a young man, I wondered that very question, all right? We read Genesis chapter 25, and it's a great story. What I want you to understand is that in all things that we pray about, God will always make a way for you. Understand that. His love for you is such that He will always make a way for you. He is not going to go ahead and simply ignore your prayer. He will go ahead and hear your prayer, and not only as He hears it, He will begin to actively work on that answer. He will always make a way for you. It doesn't matter what you walked in here with this morning. It might be heartache. It might be some distress that, that is absolutely crowding out every bit of worship in your heart this morning where you cannot simply focus on the fact that God loves you and has provided an eternity for you in Jesus Christ. But the real truth is, as God makes a way for you, He doesn't want you to go ahead and take that magnifying glass that I had earlier and simply say, you know what? 
You've got to search, search out and really hunt for the truth both in the Word and through, the, through your experiences. You're going to have to search to find me. The Bible says this part isn't necessary. It says in Jeremiah that when you search for me, my will will be like your hand. Everyone in here, if you, I, I want you to do We did this about eight years ago. We can do it again. I want you to look on your hand uh, and just take a peek at it right now. Some of you might be playing trombone with your hand just to go ahead and get it in focus, okay? I know this hand. It is my right hand. It is the hand that I have used for, for most of the work in my life. It has some scars on it. It has a scar over here from Boy Scouts where I had a knife and I was trying to, to open. I, I'd forgotten a can opener. Be prepared. Yeah, me. And so I was using a knife to try to take off the top of the lid and I slipped and I took a nice gash in my own hand. As you're looking at this, understand that Jeremiah said that when you and I seek the Lord, it will be like a hand in front of our face, clear that we recognize God is not hiding from you. And He will always make a way for you. And He was making a way for Isaac. Did you notice what Isaac prayed? Isaac didn't pray for him to have a son. Abraham did. Isaac didn't pray that. You find out that Isaac had grown spiritually at least a little bit farther than his daddy did. And Abraham is the fellow that is supposed to be the new covenant that God is going to make with his people. He's going to put a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham is going to go ahead and be the father of all of these children. And Isaac can't have a child. But did you notice what he prayed? Father, would you give a child to my wife? We've talked about intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is that idea of a line of a line of battle. We've done this before. We're not going to do it this morning. A line of battle, and a person in 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 those days, people would line up to have have battles against each other. There'd be a line of men, and then there'd be a subline of men behind a reserve line, and then a, a third reserve line b- behind. And when one person was felled by an arrow or a stone or a bullet or whatever it was, that person dropped, the person behind would step in line. The word intercessory comes from that military terminology. I'm stepping in the place of someone who has fallen or fallen away for whatever reason. What does Isaac do? Had Rebecca prayed? For a child, no doubt. But he goes before God and he says, God, on behalf of my wife, will you give us a child? Will you give her a child? That intercession means that God has the opportunity to make a way for not only Rebecca, but also for Isaac. That better be Jesus calling. He gives both that answer. He reveals in your need for Him in your life. When we pray, God has the right, He has you and me right where He wants you. Coming to Him and depending on His guidance, He revels in the need for Him in your life. 
It is the beginning of a wonderful journey of faith, not living by your power, but resting on God's loving embrace of you. That's what prayer is. That's what Isaac's prayer was. I'm going to rest in God's embrace for me. It means that God is in control of my life and your life. It means that God is going to answer this prayer. Now listen, it may not be the way that you see your life should go. When we get God's answer to prayer, it may not be the way we want it to be. When God answers this prayer, and when and by the way, if you go ahead and read that prayer that, that Isaac made, he simply is asking God, God, give my wife a child. Let me share with you. God answered that prayer in a powerful way. He's 60 years old when she has her child. It may not be the way that you see your life should go. This is the caveat to praying. The answer may not be what you are hoping for or even desiring. Many times when folks pray and God gives them His answer... It always comes in one of these three ways. We've gone over this a bunch of times. When God answers prayer, He he answers it in one of three ways. Help work, work with me, those that you remember. When God answers prayer, He first says a yes. He will answer. You pray... And he says yes. And you know what happens when that when that goes on? We pray. And we go, oh man, I want to pray me some more. We're fired up. This prayer stuff really works. God says yes to our prayer. And oftentimes we come in with a preset agenda of what we want. And in God's holy economy, He says yes. But God also answers prayer in a second way. What is that? Yeah. Ever had that happen? Ever feel like praying some more after you get a no? Most of the time when God says no, it is to protect us and to guide us. To protect us and to guide us. But there's a third answer that God gives to you and me. And it is the most difficult answer, and it's the one he gave to Isaac. Wait a while. Wait a while. When Isaac heard these words that he shared with God, I, I want a child for my wife. She is she's distraught. And it didn't happen. And years went by. The Bible says in Hebrew that Isaac, as he prayed this to God, it's an interesting little little tense. In Greek, it's called aorist. It is the idea of an event that happened in the past and then continually happens at the same time. It's both the past and the present and the future happening. In Hebrew, there's not that same thing. But what it basically says is Isaac prayed this and continued to pray it and continued to pray it. Now guys, listen, we don't pray repetitiously with the idea that if I keep chanting this mantra, God's got to answer it. God's got to answer it. God's got to answer it. What we do is God wants us, when He gives us the wait a while, to be fervent in our prayer 
and to yet be able to be guided in that prayer too. So that as we're praying, God begins to deliver to us a little bit of how He looks at the situation rather than just simply our earthly observation of the problem that we're in and the help that we need. God begins to disclose to us some of the reasons He's answering that yes or that no or that wait a while. Can you imagine Isaac? Wait. Wait, 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 wait. Why? Because God has something better for Isaac than just a child. Something better. It will be made specifically for you. The answer to prayer will be made specifically for you. His answer to your prayer will be tailor-made for you. It is not a cookie-cutter answer. He knows your thoughts this morning. He knows your needs. He knows your desires. And He loves you and desires your prayers to be aimed at Him so His answers will be clear to you. And it's interesting that any loss that you may seem, you may seem to suffer during this time of waiting, any of that loss will be made whole in the end. For everyone in this room this morning, time is the one commodity that that there will never be enough of. You may have financial riches, but they will disappear at your death. Isaac lost years with no child. Imagine the heartache as he waited for God's answer to the prayer that he had prayed. Rebecca may have even given up some hope that this would ever happen in her life. Imagine the heartache he had of consoling his bride. But God delivered the goods. And in fact, He gave him more than he asked for. God is like that in your life. It is worth the wait to see what He will do in your life and mine. When He gives Isaac and Rebekah, not a child, but two, there's a story that is about to begin. And it's a story that sadly echoes back to Isaac's mom and dad where there's, there becomes this, this dysfunction of family. You know the reason I told you earlier, if there's been problems in your family, that you need to take that to God and say, God, let it die, let it stop with me here? The Bible is very clear about a thing called generational sin. A generational curse. Guys, I'm not, I'm not trying to grab some little theological minutia over here and run with it. It is the idea that things that happened hereditarily in your life, there's a spiritual heredity that we have of the way that our families and families and families have conducted themselves. And if there's been some of that in your family, let it stop with you. How can you do that? In Isaac's case, he has two boys. Esau and Jacob. Esau is born first. And because of that, hereditarily, in Jewish law, he got two-thirds of the inheritance. So I know it's not fair. I know it's... Okay, Rachel, you're here this morning. You are one of three children of your mom and dad, right? Okay, here's the deal. When your mom and dad go to be with Jesus, there's an expectation that that... The heredity that you all will inherit will be divided three ways equally, right? That's fair. Greed, is that fair for everybody here? Should be that way. Not according to the Word of God. 
firstborn gets two-thirds of all of the inheritance. Everybody else gets to divide up the last third. Now, is that fair? This is yes, this is no, this is I'm falling asleep, okay? All right, is that fair? Heck no. From my standpoint, that's not fair at all. Matter of fact, we have enough lawyers in the room right now, we could go ahead and have them argue the case before, before a judge, and he might even say, hey, that's not fair either. But according to the Word of God, Esau was to receive the great blessing. And what ends up happening? Well, you know the story. Later in his life, Isaac can't hear, see, can't really function as well. And later on, there comes a time of blessing, and instead of going ahead and blessing, bringing the blessing of inheritance to his firstborn, there had to be a separate ceremony for that. Instead, he blesses Jacob instead of Esau. What happens when you do that? Lots of tears and a whole lot of fighting between two brothers. Guys, if your family is a wreck, get it settled here, now. Get it settled now. Don't let that pass on to your generations. Let it end with you. Why? Because God wants you and me to not only know that He has a way for us, and not only to know that that He will make any loss be made right, but Isaac, the one who had faith, wasn't perfect. His faith was not perfect. Your faith and mine rarely are perfect. We want to believe that when we pray, God is going to answer this prayer, and we'd be able to say, God, thank you for this answer. But many times when God answers prayer, we sit there and stumble and wonder whether He answered at all. Isaac got his blessing. He had children. He had faith. But it wasn't a perfect faith. Matter of fact, he does what his dad did later on. He lies about his wife too, just like his father Abraham had. He struggles with his two sons and the family drama that results. But in the midst of an imperfect faith, he didn't doubt God's ultimate answer to his life's problems. Guys, listen to me. Doubts always deliver destruction. Always. If you're here this morning and you doubt that God loves you, I've got news for you. God loves you so much that He demonstrated it by giving His Son Jesus to die in your place on the cross. He loves you that much. If you doubt that, then it will lead ultimately to an eternal destruction. And God doesn't want that. Instead, God desires you to not make the same mistakes that were made in the past, maybe in your family. Not make the same mistakes again and again and again and again and again. What He wants us to do, guys, listen to me. Please hear this. If you miss everything else, He wants us to make new mistakes if we've got to make them. New ones. Our church, several years ago, had a ministry called Feed the Kids. Rory Gesh, who was the superintendent of schools here, took me on a ride. He, he came and picked me up and he said, do you have an afternoon that we can go ahead and uh, share together? And I said, sure. He picked me up and he took me all around the district. 
And as he was driving me around to places, and I'd already been here several years, he drove me to places in Grimes County that I had no idea existed. Mignon, your husband knew about these places. Stu, you know about them. There are places where kids come home and they have no food to eat. I shared with you and took a picture. We showed it here in the sanctuary. Some of you all might remember it. It was an in-ground swimming pool that had been dug out of the ground, turned over, and a little door had been cut into it. And that was where a family, a mom and dad, who had lost their job, were living with their 14-year-old high school girl. They had nothing to eat. So our church began to go and put together a program called Feed the Kids. And we did that program for five years. It was funded by a family here in our church. It allowed a sack lunch to be handed to a kid on the weekends. Why? Because our state provided food. If, if a kid needed food at school, it was provided. We don't have kids that will go into our schools. Thankfully, we don't have kids that go into our schools and don't have access to at least something. I'm grateful for that. Our church ended up making these little sack lunches, and the sack lunches would be handed out to the kids, and they would take it, and it would, it would give them something in their stomachs for that night and maybe the next day. And what we found out about it was a lot of times those kids would be coming home, and some of the other people around there as soon as we drove off, would simply snatch that bag out of those kids' hands. Let me ask you a question. Is that a failure in ministry? This is yes, this is no. I'm going to share with you that we don't do feed the kids like that anymore. What we do now is provide food in, in, in process through our Wednesday night program. And it feeds literally a hundred or more folks. Jerry Strode, Skip Nobles, all of you guys that go in there that help out in the kitchen. We feed kids there. But that's not addressing the big issue, Clyde. If we're not doing, we ought to pray about this and we ought to do more. Let me share with you this. We ought to go no farther in ministry than God takes us. What might seem to be a good answer to a problem might in fact be counterproductive to what God has planned. What about those kids that are starving and hungry when they go home, they have a weekend where they don't have anything to eat? Let me share with you some good news. We have a group of men in this church who have made it a point to find kids that are needy. Come here to First Baptist. Come here on Wednesday night. And find a way to quietly and silently let God meet their needs. How did this happen? Did Pastor Clyde present another program that would be a, a work in wonder where we could feed all of these kids and provide for all of their needs? No. What happened is God began to address this in a prayer time with a group of men and he simply said, I want you to go ahead and help this child. I want you to go ahead and help this child. And the funny thing was, when all of a sudden all of these guys kind of said, well, you know, God's 
really kind of told me to do this. They all got together. Well, you know, that's funny because God told me the same thing. I've been helping over over here. And what has happened is an amalgam of men, not a big group. This is five guys that said, I will provide money or food or gift cards to kids that need it. It's a perfect solution because it is God's solution, not mine, not man's. The deal is, folks, you and I have to be willing in prayer to go to God and ask Him, what do we really need? Isaac did that, not for himself, but for his wife. You and I have that same opportunity this morning to ask God what it is that I need in your eyes And more importantly, what do you want me to do about it? That time is now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, thank you for this time. We so easily pray. And your word says sometimes it is as if they are just words that roll off our tongue that have spiritual context but no real meaning. I pray, Father, we won't do that this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that You will speak to our hearts about the need that we really have. And that this morning You will do a work to change us, to help us to accept a yes or a no, but even more so to accept wait. Because this time, Father, is your time. It it doesn't belong to us. We belong to you. You speak to our hearts. Help us to say yes to what you say. And Father, this morning, that may be the idea of saying for the very first time, I need Jesus Christ to come in and forgive my sin, to enter my life, and to rule, and to walk with me and to give me an eternity with you. It may mean to plug into a church family. This is that day and that time, and this is that church. And if that's so, Father, give, give peace. Help our answer to be yes. Father, it may be something we walked in here with that nobody else knows about. We ask you right now to take control over a situation, to answer it, and to answer it in your time and in your direction, not ours. This we ask, Lord, not because we've earned the right to ask, but because you gave it to us through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who bought and paid for everyone in this room with his death on the cross. And I pray this in his name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Stand together. We do this every week. It is the conclusion of this time part of our worship time. It is a time where we respond not to what the pastor says, but to what God is leading you to do. If He is speaking your name and calling you to the next step in in your walk with Him, I'd love to pray with you here at our altar. You come as God leads.